0: health radio. And thank you so much for listening today. I got a huge, huge treat for you. I got the grand jury petition initiative team here. That's a mouthful. Yes. Cause we have a lot of work to do. You may not know it, but there are Americans who love you, who have been working their asses off to make sure that freedom is forever and freedom is for all and many of them are on this team. We have experts on RICO fraud, experts on death certificate analysis, experts on Varis and VARIS analysis, experts on what is going on and how they're trying to construct the next fraud, experts on grand juries, experts on county grand juries, and federal grand juries, and state grand juries, and FOIA, and experts on the law as well. I'm really excited to bring this team out and introduce them all to you for the first time together because we have a big moment coming americans a big moment that we want you to circle on your calendars december 5th tuesday december 5th i'm going to say it one more time tuesday december 5th in the morning ninth circuit court portland oregon we finally made it in front of some judges on this initiative after three hard years of working every single week to make sure freedom is forever and freedom is for all. So what I want to do today is introduce you to everybody, but we're going to start by getting into the background of what was going on and how this great fraud and evil was perpetuated upon the American people by April 7th, 2020. You can go to beyondthecon.com and join the fight. Make sure and go to beyondthecon.com. You can read all of our filings, everything we've been doing. And we are about to deliver the 15 most explosive minutes in American history on December 5th when we go into that courtroom. How did this all happen? It all happened because the data didn't lie. People did. This is a case about the right of Americans when we know that there is something wrong, when we know that crimes have been committed to go after and make sure that those people who have committed the crimes are held to account. And the grand jury system is a tool for we, the people, to ensure that corruption can be rooted out of any government agency, wherever it may be. Now, what we have done, and we knew what was going on very early on, March 12, 2020, I started daily reports, daily data analysis on these on these fraudulent COVID, uh, COVID numbers. What, what happened? What happened was we started looking at Italy. And when we looked at Italy, because Italy was two weeks ahead of us, I, we wanted to see what was it going to be like from a health perspective? What was going to be the peak? And when were we going to be able to expect a fall in the numbers so we could get back on with our lives, that this wasn't going to be something we needed to worry about? Remember, on March 9th the 2020, the CDC admitted themselves the only people that really needed to be worried about SARS-CoV-2 were people who were over 65 and had multiple comorbidities, especially diabetics and people overweight and people with heart conditions. If you didn't fit in that category, there was no reason for you to ever have your freedoms restricted by these lockdowns. Well, when we looked at the Italian data, the Italian data showed us that the peak was about 20 days from the first case, and then you had about a 20-day fall. So it was going to be about 40 days. That's all this was going to take, and it was going to model after previous infective curves. No problem. We started modeling the US data in kind and what we found was something very very alarming. We saw the same 20-day rise in new cases, but we saw this huge huge gap between people who were contracting SARS-CoV-2 or be at least the PCR test saying that they did and people who were being hospitalized What was very alarming was that in the United States, more people were being diagnosed with COVID than were needing hospitalization by far. And that was a big red flag. Well, there was a second red flag. After that first 20 days, when the number of cases in the United States began to drop, similar to what was going on in Italy, there was then about 10 days later, around April 7th, a secondary rise. And we didn't see that in any other country, which means you have to be able to explain how, why is that going on? Is that legit or is somebody cooking the books? Well, it turns out that the CDC and the NVSS were cooking the books. What they had done was they began to incentivize diagnosis for COVID. You hospitals got more money when they diagnosed somebody as covid So we looked into what the criteria, what were the rules around how, who was deemed COVID positive and who wasn't? Did you need a test? Was the PCR test valid? Well, we learned very quickly it wasn't. But what were the rules around this? The rules were very simple when you go and read them. All you had to do is cough once. Cough once and you could legitimately be diagnosed with COVID. And who came up with those rules? A little known nonprofit organization called the Council of State and Territorial Epidemiologists, a nonprofit organization heavily funded by the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, heavily funded by Gavi, heavily funded by all the organizations that have heavy interests in vaccines, financial interests in vaccines. What came after that was a second thing in that report, which was very, very interesting. On Section 7B in that report, in that criteria, the Council of State and Territorial Epidemiologists, in their position paper, it said this, how do we make sure that a person isn't counted multiple times as a new case? Remember, think back to 2020. You couldn't go to work if you had a positive test, right? So what did you have to do? You had to go hunt for that negative test, which means you had to get test after test, after test, after test. Many people would get 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12 tests in a week. Each one of them is positive. Why? Because the test itself is fraudulent. The uh, cycle threshold value is spooled up way too high. They can find whatever they want. And this person now gets nine positive tests in a week trying to get back to work. Well, with the Position paper said by the CSTE is this. Don't worry about it. It doesn't matter. We don't need to know how many times a person got tested. Count each one of them as a new case. So now that one person who should have been counted maybe one time gets counted as nine new cases. And now we just explained how there are so many cases of COVID in the country. This is what we call, folks, fraud. And that the CDC and the NVSS were doing this and signed off on this position paper that the CDC outsourced their authority to a nonprofit organization in order to create these arbitrary rules for diagnosis, that's called fraud. And that they enumerated themselves financially in the process, that's called criminal data fraud. And on top of it, because they knew they were doing this willful misconduct. Why is this so important? Because when we can prove willful misconduct, when a grand jury agrees that this is willful misconduct, it tears down the protections of the PrEP Act and it tears down the protections of the 1986 National Childhood Vaccine Injury Act and opens up the floodgates for every single person who has been injured by this process, by these governmental rules, and by these damn shots to sue the pharmaceutical industry into oblivion where they deserve to exist. That's what we are bringing to you. That's why we are passionate about what we are doing. And that's why we've been in this fight every day for the last three plus years. And we want you to get in the fight with us December 5th, Let's make sure everyone in America is watching this historic proceeding that's on the horizon. Now, we have a couple of great senators with us that couldn't join us today. They stepped in when no one else was, when it wasn't convenient, when it wasn't popular, because they were getting call after call from their constituents worried about what was going on in this country. So the senators contacted us. We started working together and we showed them what was going on with the fraudulent nature of this data and how this set up by August, excuse me, by April 7th, the entire construct of the fraudulent apparatus. They said, we agree with you. We believe what you're doing. You have proven yourself to us. We got to do something about this. They wrote a letter to the Department of Justice demanding a grand jury investigation into what they have found. And do you know what the Department of Justice said to them? Kick rocks. The Department of Justice told two elected officials representing hundreds of thousands of Americans with definitive evidence of criminal data fraud and willful misconduct that they weren't even going to look into it and that the senators would do well to leave them alone. Well, folks, we have a problem now, and I think you can all agree. We have a problem and it deserves investigation, and that's what this fight is all about. The right of an American citizen to demand an investigation into obvious criminality, obvious fraud, obvious willful misconduct, and potentially treason. Yes, it's that serious. So I wanna bring to you some folks today that love you that you may have never met these are great people doing great things and they deserve your ear first person i want to bring up is our incredible attorney who has been fighting for so many people and again doing it when it wasn't popular and it wasn't
1: convenient mr steve jonkus steve how you doing today good morning i'm doing fine thank you dr Ely, for that introduction
0: We got a good question here for you, sir. We have challenges, right? No question about it. What are some of the legal challenges that we face in trying to accomplish what no one has accomplished in our history?
1: The main problem is that the government and the courts have gotten used to the idea that the only one with access to a grand jury is a prosecutor, a a government prosecutor. Now, as you explained, the government has no interest in investigating itself because the government is the guilty party. It's the culpable party. It's the criminal party. And for political reasons, the government is not going to investigate itself. And we have a very politicized justice department um, today as as an apparent in all sorts of areas uh, that's that's not going to uh, investigate uh the criminal conduct of its own side as it views it but in this case um uh you know grand juries are an ancient feature of government Uh, they're not part of the executive branch they're not part of the judicial branch they're not part of the legislative branch they're a unique Entity that existed before the United States Constitution, and the there's there's federal law on this. So we we are arguing um, that we have access to the grand jury because the Supreme Court, in a number of different decisions, has said that the grand jury is not for the prosecutor. They're not appointed for the government. They're appointed for we the people. And it's the grand jury can investigate a crime no matter where they get the information from and from anybody, from any person, not just the prosecutor. A grand jury doesn't need a case or controversy in order to, to investigate. So that's our major point that we need to get through that there are mechanisms there need to be mechanisms there are mechanisms already although vestiges of those mechanisms still exist to get in front of a grand jury and uh, that's what we're intending to do and we'll be arguing that case uh, before a three-judge panel in ninth circuit on december 5th
0: now one of the challenges we've had steve is that and like so many people who've set up legitimate uh, cases is that they came back and they're alleging we don't have standing. Um, what is standing? And in your opinion, of course, you're biased. You're working with us. Hmm. Do we have myself and Senator Dennis Lenticum and Senator Kim Thatcher
1: have standing in this case? So standing means you're the right person to be bringing this case uh, to the court. It means you're the one that's been harmed. And um, it's a complicated um and controversial um um uh, area of the law and it, it's uh they're basically saying we don't have standing because we're not a prosecutor and there's no way that we we can have we do we have no right to get in front of a grand jury is is what they said and what they won on that's what the judge said in his opinion dismissing our case so um we had, do have standing again because this is a um, uh, the government's gotten used to the idea that only prosecutors get in front of grand juries but the history if you go back way back and look at history and, um, and you know grand jury is is there to preserve the liberties of the people and it's not limited to control of any branch of government there's law on that grand juries are not there and not controlled by any branch of government and they're designed to preserve individual Liberty. So that's what we're trying to bring forward again, is the people's right to get in front of a grand jury to present evidence of crimes. And in this case, it is evidence of, of uh, unbelievably broad and uh, pernicious crimes by the government.
0: Amen. And to clarify for everybody listening in, we filed... Judge Marco Hernandez ruled against us. Steve immediately filed an appeal. December 5th, we finally get to get into court to be heard on that appeal. One of the issues that we had was that Judge Hernandez threw out our case or dismissed our case in the initial filing because he said, we don't have the authority to prosecute. This is a very important point. It's subtle, but it's very important. In our initial 63-page filing, we explicitly did not request prosecution of the respondents that we have named. We requested investigation. And it's that fine point that is the difference in why we are going to be successful in this endeavor, my people.
2: Spike proteins help viruses enter into your cells, disrupting your health and your well-being. Global Healing's Foreign Protein Cleanse detoxes your body of spike proteins, which allows your body to repair from within, supporting your immune and respiratory systems and regulating your inflammatory response. Formulated by Dr. Edward Group and by Dr. Brian Artis, Foreign Protein Cleanse targets and detoxes spike proteins in the body. Go to americaoutloud.shop and get 15% off using the code OUTLOUD. Global healing, giving you the power to take control of your health naturally.
3: CofixRx Nasal Solution has completed the circle and is now offering throat spray with povidone iodine. That completes the protocol doctors like Peter McCullough recommend. If staying healthy is important, you'll want to make sure to add throat spray to your next order of RX.
0: Let's move on. Thank you very much, Steve. Let's move on to uh, Judge Nally and Kelly, our two grand jury experts here. Steve started getting into what a grand jury is. Can you give a little bit more background briefly on what a grand jury is and help people understand? Because most people, when they think of juries, they think of jury of your peers and a criminal trial, stuff like that. This is different. Can you explain those differences and help everybody understand Judge Nally and Kelly?
4: Don't go ahead, Kelly. All right. So you're talking uh badminton versus football. Badminton would be your petit jury in a trial court. The grand jury is football, able to get out and investigate, issue subpoenas. It's composed of everyday people and it's the purpose one of the purposes to hold government accountable. So, uh, and specifically to hold accountable willful misconduct in office. Um, some recent examples would be 2018, Congressman Chris Collins, a re- Republican out of New York, he violated insider trading laws. Grand jury indicted him, held him accountable for willful misconduct. Duncan Hunter, Republican, California, t- 2018, he violated campaign finance laws, got indicted. Our nation's history, on average, A congressman is indicted by uh, a grand jury every session of Congress. And this function of the grand jury is well explained in the Missouri Constitution, Article 1, Section 16. The grand jury shall have power to investigate and return indictments for all character and grades of crime. And the power of grand juries to inquire into the willful misconduct in office of public officers and to find indictments in connection therewith shall never be suspended. The New York State Constitution has a similar clause. And we have the right to petition for redress or grievance in its origin the uh, petition was to a grand jury. That's a couple of SCOTUS cases. So we went with 18 U.S.C. 3032 that requires the Justice Department to inform a grand jury when requested so in writing by a citizen. And they are saying no. All they needed to do was take our box of information, go to the grand jury and said, no, they fought us tooth and nail and night and day, wasted a bunch of time, but they just just we're going to appellate court. Now, it's very important to understand that if there is no indictment, there is no accountability. This is per the Fifth Amendment, okay? And for a felony, a federal felony, uh, there is no accountability unless there is a grand jury indictment or a presentment. And that means without an indictment, the federal government officials can get away with breaking the law, even murder. There's a court case in 1887 that declares very clearly you no know, that uh, it's jurisdictional, and the courts cannot prosecute without an indictment. 1973 case said the same thing. Uh, the grand jury is the only accusatory body of the federal government. So obviously, if the Justice Department wants to protect their corrupt political allies, they're going to play gatekeeper games and not get things into uh, the grand jury. So this is very frustrating. Now, of course, a can learn a lot more about the grand jury by the frequently asked questions on the website Beyond the Con. Um, this is why it's called The Hidden Fourth Branch. This is why I published a book called The Hidden Fourth Branch, A Corrupt Government's Worst Nightmare. But there's many uh, frequently asked questions that you uh, people can understand the grand jury better there at com.
0: Amen. And thank you for that. Quick recap, everybody. So the way it works, allegations are made. Grand jury gets those allegations and now has the authority to investigate the validity of those allegations with broad subpoena powers to get things that most people in the public can't get if for no other reason to confirm that no crimes have been committed. Because remember, the function of the grand jury is to investigate any allegations of willful misconduct and corruption in the government as a tool of the people to make sure that the Constitution is the social contract that we are all engaged within. Kelly, beautiful. Make sure you check out the hidden fourth branch by Kelly Mordecai, the hidden fourth branch by Kelly Mordecai. Judge Nally, we're going to come back to you after we hear from some of our fraud experts, because I want to I want to get your take on what you hear from each of them. Let's go over right now to um, where are we at? Keith. So, Keith, what is RICO and how much money has been stolen from the American people? A lot, <laughs> a lot, it's almost incalculable. Um,
5: when we look at RICO, if we're gonna to go to a federal grand jury and, and approach them and, and present evidence of, uh, of RICO crimes, um, we have to be able to, to delineate what laws were violated uh, by this criminal enterprise. And that's what RICO statute is. Um, it's the Racketeer Influenced and Corrupt Organization Act it came about in 1970, um, it's codified in chapter 96 of title 18 of USC, uh, 1961 through 1968. And it was initially put in place to, to bring down the mafia. So when you start looking at this criminal enterprise, uh, the, the, the avenue or the lane to bring them to justice is the same avenue or lane that brought down the mafia because it's organized crime. And that is an important and critical aspect to RICO crimes. And really what we're doing is we're looking at the definition of racketeering. And when you look at racketeering, it's when a criminal organization uh, develops a criminal construct and they go down the lanes of coercive uh, behavior, fraudulent activity, extortion, or other illegal coordinated schemes that operate to repeatedly or consistently provide a profit to that criminal organization. And there are four basic areas of RICO. You can invest the income derived from racketeering, which in this case is the U.S. tax base. You can acquire control of a business from racketeering. Think of the number of um, individual businesses that were shut down outside of their control because of mandates were put in place by governors Um, and then the other aspect of that would be participating in the actual conduct of racketeering which is kind of a fine line with this group because as we'll as we'll see here shortly they export a lot of their activity uh, to third parties for example they will create the language behind how diagnoses are identified and then recorded And then that data is produced and then that data is received back by the people who authored that information. And then it's propagated as something that it's not. Um, And then the fourth aspect would be conspiring to violate any of the previous three. It showed that as, as COVID-19 came into place, um, flu and pneumonia went away at the exact same rate. It's an inverse reciprocal relationship for Uh, for fraud. It's a hallmark indicator of fraud. And so we have a complete catalog, pages, boxes of evidence clearly demonstrating that the entirety of COVID-19 is enterprise fraud and all of it is prosecutable under RICO
0: statute. And so essentially they lied with numbers, which is interesting because that's a book that has been seen in a picture with Bill Gates quite frequently. And Keith, Let's get to what that number is though for us that isn't a lie. When the fir- when what's the first the range, what's the range in trillions of dollars of American taxpayer money that has been stolen? What's the range that you found? The first
5: report that came out at the end of uh, uh, 2021, spending was at 3.5 trillion. It's currently at 4.2 trillion. They've got 4.5 trillion obligated. There were two Harvard professors that indicated that the The total impact, financial impact of the pandemic, was around $16 trillion. However, we looked at things like the increase in spending over baseline flu, which is $1.7 billion. Unemployment was factored at $16.2 trillion alone. The total impact on small business was $2.3 trillion. The total impact on mental health was $1.6 trillion. And so, it comes down to the conversation starts at $16 trillion, but as the GAO tells us, tracking the spending is extremely complex, and all of the studies overlay and they repeat in sure. certain areas, so it becomes difficult to aggregate the total number. But it's sure. got to be somewhere between sixteen trillion and upwards of—I don't know. You can start adding up to sixty-five trillion at some point, remembering that some of those things are redundant and uh, and repeat in certain
0: categories. So everybody listening in, that's a lot of information, right? Make sure you go to politicalmoonshine.com and be able to digest it. Here's the idea, everybody. They lied using numbers. They knew they were lying using numbers. It was intentional. And then they used that lie to move trillions of our dollars into their pockets and their businesses. That's what makes it criminal. All right. And that's what makes it worthy of investigation. Let's move over to John right now, John Bodwin. John Bodwin has been doing some incredible work on the death certificate analysis and more. He's been actually putting some a lot of extra work in. John, I got to ask you, you know, because Keith is talking about death certificates and how they manipulated death certificates has been a thrust of what we've talked about, how on March 24th, the CDC came out and said, change how death certificates are reported, but only for COVID, move all prior pathologies down into part two. So COVID can be listed as the last line item on part one, which is cause of death and how they can m- manipulate the whole process. What have you seen in the actual death certificates, because you got them from Massachusetts and a couple states, that confirmed this was definitively fraud for you?
6: Absolutely. <clears throat> so I'm just going to start with a story of how I came to 500,000 death certificates, unredacted, all names, first, middle, last names, parents' names, where they're from, and so forth. I was driving to the gym, and uh, on the radio, it said a little girl died. Um, from COVID. And I thought to myself, well, I've been doing this for a couple of years now. Now, this was February of 2022. And uh, no little kids, no healthy kids died from COVID. So I did eight public records requests, one of them hit, we got all 500,000. Well, then it was 420. We've had updates, I've now had 500,000 from Massachusetts, joined with another person who has 420,000 from Minnesota. We have about 60,000 from Vermont. So we have back to 2015. What did I find? I found that that little girl's death certificates indeed did say she died. The only cause listed on part one, which is causes of death, complications of coronavirus 19 viral infection. So the news wasn't lying. They said she died from COVID and the death certificate said she died from COVID. But then I went into bears, and I found that there was only one uh, of the the four seven-year-old girls who died in Massachusetts. Only one was around that time. So the the girl in question, um, I won't say her name right now, but she was seven years old. The death certificate said she died on January 18. There is a VAERS record of a seven-year-old girl from Massachusetts who was injected on January 13. The report was written on January 15. And in that report, it said she, on the first prior vax, reacted in five minutes, vomited for eight to 10 hours, and then... It goes on to the second vax, which the report was about. And that said, severe abdominal pain, 103 degree fever, didn't have a bowel movement for three days. The report ends. And as you know, Cassidy died on January 18. Is it the same girl? That's what I'm suing the state for. Um, So there's that, right? Did they commit fraud? Why won't they say so? Just let us know. Uh, Then there are ones that I absolutely know. Acute fentanyl intoxication, they tested the dead body for COVID. So fentanyl overdoses, there are hundreds of accidental deaths. Fentanyl overdose, blunt force trauma to the head, car accident, falling off a ladder, falling downstairs, blunt force trauma to the torso. Those are absolutely fraudulent. COVID is listed as the cause of death. Um, If they're willing to do that with COVID, what are they willing to do to 94-year-olds who die from cardiac arrest after injection? COVID, 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 COVID. Everything was COVID. Everything back then. I interviewed a medical examiner in Boston for three and a half hours to be nameless, of course. And after three and a half hours of going through the records, I realized uh I, I know the truth. I know what happened. The medical examiners didn't go to work. They were afraid of catching COVID. They didn't do imaging. They didn't do blood samples. They didn't do tissue samples. They called up the old folks home and said, What happened? It, Nurse on the line said, well, she's 94. She was coughing and died. COVID, 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 COVID. Why is Massachusetts important? On July 27, 2020, four months into COVID, Massachusetts was number three in the world. Number two was New York. Number one was New Jersey. And Massachusetts was 50% more than number four, Belgium. Okay, I'm talking all sovereigns in the world with 3 million or more people. Out of all the sovereigns in the world, Massachusetts, New York, and New Jersey were running away from the pack in purported COVID deaths per population. Why? 600 pharma companies in Massachusetts, over 47 billion in venture capital financing. I drive by Moderna on my way to Costco. Andover Mass is the divisional headquarters for Pfizer's mRNA vaccine plant. There are 10 companies over a billion in revenue, 50 companies over 100 million in revenue, all in Massachusetts. And where do they trade? They trade in New York, New York City, where the big executives are. So you have the center of money for pharma and the center of design and manufacturing for pharma of the world in Massachusetts, New York, and the northern counties in New Jersey. Why do you think they led the world in
0: purported COVID deaths? So where does that lead us to fraud? I got Uh, a question, though, John, before you leave that thought. I got a question for you. We want to believe that there are good people in these hospitals, that these are good people. Why would they do this? Why, in your opinion, would they go along with writing on the death certificate COVID pretty consistently? Was there some incentive for them to do that? What 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 do you think?
6: Yeah, I I love that question because there's there's an answer for everybody. It's not one thing. Some people were coerced. You have the American Board of Internal Medicine, American Board of Pediatrics, American Board of Family Medicine, the three CEOs putting a letter out to every doctor in the United States if you spread vaccine misinformation your license will be suspended or revoked you can find it right now on the web it's still there that's coercion it's criminal it's it's not fraud it's 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 absolutely criminal the solicitation is how you know if you would say well it's a nice person they're just doing what they're told to do uh the cares act itself is a solicitation you get more money to put somebody in a ventilator it's different by state. It ha- It's a complicated formula. Just say roughly around $30,000 per patient to go on a ventilator. The use of remdesivir or baricitinib, okay, 20% adder to the entire hospital bill. You go to cms.gov, you find that right now. It's also in the federal register. 20%. Imagine somebody in the ICU has a half a million dollar bill. The hospital gets an extra 100 grand if they just pump this little drug called remdesivir into their veins. It is known to cause kidney problems. There is a large, large lawsuit right now against Gilead in California. class action just filed, Mark Geyer and, and, and company. Um, so yeah, the, there are incentives from the CARES Act to the hospital administrators. You know, Walter E. Williams, Thomas Sowell, Milton Friedman, all of them said, if you subsidize something, you get more of it. The pay plan defines the behavior we used to say in my business. It absolutely does. You put a spiff on something, it gets sold more than everything else. And that's what happened. They, they put a, a, a financial incentive, not only for the hospitals, also for the doctors. And they sold what they wanted to sell to the detriment of the people. And we probably don't have time, but I could show you graphs. And I, Let me give you the numbers real quick. In Massachusetts, more than 2,000 excess people died from acute renal failure alone. Okay, acute renal failure. That's one single cause of death. 2,000. 1,600 in Minnesota, similar numbers in Nevada and Vermont, where I also have data. Okay, how does that translate? 100,000 extra souls in the United States, an average of 16 years younger than COVID deaths. They're killing young people by acute renal failure. How? Okay, now what it all boils down to is these uh, behavior modifications that are built into the laws and policies were thought of ahead of time. They knew what they were doing. These are not accidental things. Most of the people downstream are just doing their jobs and enacting them. They're, you know, the legislators are just handed stuff by the lobbyists. The lobbyists work for the pharma companies and the military uh, m- Military intelligence ran Operation Warp Speed. That's a fact. It was brought in. Operation Warp Speed is a co-mission between HHS.gov and DOD, and they don't take no for an answer. And they use um, they use processes available to them that industry can't use. You did not see a Pfizer commercial about the vaccine for the first two years of the vaccine. They didn't have to put out a commercial. Imagine that. They got a commercial about everything else on TV. I'm off topic now, but uh, to answer the question, it's different things motivate different people, and um, they have you know you gather a bunch of people through solicitation. Those whom you don't get, you get them through coercion. those whom you don't get you try other means it's called topping off
0: right let me jump in here thank you john for that folks what he's talking about is something that was used in slavery it's the whip or the sugar cookie if you do what i want i'm going to give you a sugar cookie occasionally if you don't i'm going to whip you into oblivion and that's what we see was constructed right here so i ask you are you free
7: We are the pulse and voice of everyday American thought. America Out dot news, delivering a message of truth, inspiration, and hope to the world. Here we take on the challenges of our generation so that we can preserve future generations. Join us in the fight for liberty and justice for all. America Out Loud Talk Radio.
2: world-class care from doctors you can trust, all from the comfort of your home. That is One Wellness. Dr. Peter McCullough and his team at The Wellness Company designed the One Wellness membership to provide free monthly supplements and unlimited telemedicine access with doctors that share your values. Go to outloudcare.com today and use code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first month of One Wellness. The natural colon cleanse. It's the
0: Let's find out. Let's go over to Albert and start talking about what is the consequence of all this. So, Albert, Albert, you are the creator of VERS Aware. You are the foremost authority, in my opinion, in this country on analysis of VERS data. You've been working with so many different teams out there, helping to support them. Do you think the CDC publishes all legitimate VERS reports that they see that they receive? What is your expert
8: opinion? Uh, thank you, Dr. Ely. Yeah, so the VAERS system, Vaccine Adverse Events Reporting System, that is the system that was created in that uh, 1986 uh, Children's Vaccine Act that basically gave the manufacturers liability. And the VAERS system is an actual obligation by the CDC and the FDA to operate as a pharmacovigilance tool. So, it's where uh, doctors, nurses, and even the public can submit a vaccine injury uh, report. Um, and and it's designed as as a as an early warning pharmacovigilance. So it's not up to the the doctor submitting the report that if he thinks that the that the vaccine actually caused the injury or not, it's just his obligation to see that, There is a a vaccine administration in the in the person's history. And therefore, you know, he has to submit the report and let the CDC get all that metadata and try to find these uh, early warning systems and make that determination. So
0: let me follow up, though, on that, Albert. Let me follow up with you on that. Yep. So how many reports? Right. Because. They're lying to us. Can we? Can, can I say that legitimately? They're lying to us with data?
8: Absolutely. Absolutely.
0: Okay. So how many reports have mysteriously disappeared? How many legitimate VERS reports have mysteriously
8: disappeared from VAERS? According to uh, Robert F. Kennedy Jr. at my church on June 19th of 2021, in which he Interviewed uh, a handful of VARES representatives, processors, medical coders, all together in a group, uh, zoomed with them. They collectively said that 150 thousand reports at that moment in time had disappeared from their queues. They didn't know where they went. Um, so we have that. In my analysis, um, I know that there is currently uh, in the in the COVID jab era there is still currently at least 30,000 ID numbers that have never ever been published. And uh, and on and in addition to that, there's also uh, an extra 30,000 reports that have been published and then have been deleted and uh, deleted under the premise that they were either a duplicate or a fake or false report, which, Filing a false report, by the way, is a federal crime, so that's an AKA felony to, to submit a false report. But with that, 30,000 have been deleted, 1,000 of those death, and I've audited uh, you know, a, a, a good majority of those myself uh, on the premise that these were uh, duplicates at least, and I couldn't find not 10% of a matching live report. Um, with that, I so I believe that they delete legitimate reports uh, after publication. I believe that they do not publish all legitimate reports received. And that is vastly different than the uh, underreporting factor that we've heard about with the Harvard Pilgrim study of uh, 2010, where where the Harvard Pilgrim study said that uh, only about one percent of all adverse events, uh, uh, reports are actually submitted to VERS, and I'm saying VARES is receiving a whole bunch of reports, but they're not publishing them, so they're sitting on a, a, a mountain of reports that are, are not being published. So, so,
0: so, so the CDC, NVSS, this you know National Vital Statistics System, folks that control VERS are deleting legitimate reports under the guise that they have duplicates, which are not there are lowering the number of death count for the public. And at the same time, Albert, you told me something months ago that blew me away. If somebody's initial report is they went into anaphylactic shock or, or Cassidy that John had talked about her initial report was that she was vomiting after getting these damn shots. Right. That's what's on the initial report. She then dies a couple days later. Vera's doesn't have to update that for the public. That doesn't show up as a death post
8: shot, does it? You're absolutely correct. As of, uh, 2000, January, 2011, they made a, a big monumental paradigm shift where they no longer, uh, published follow-up data. So they would basically append the initial report with the follow-up data like a death. So the Harvard Pilgrim study didn't even have to contend with that paradigm because that did not exist for Harvard Pilgrim. Now you have to ask yourself, well, gee, out of the 1.6 million reports that are in there, how many people are now since dead? Albert, thank you very much, folks. You can check out Albert Benavides
0: and his great work at dot com. You can check out John Bodwin's great work at Coquishion, I can't pronounce that, John. Get, wh- how do people find you, brother? I want to make sure we give them a shout out to you too.
6: All right, on Twitter, it's at John Bodwin Senior, J O H N B E A U D O I N S R, and Coquandishion is spelled C O Q U I N D E C H I E N, and then dot and it means naughty dog. And that uh, the initials just happen to be CDC. So my book is coming out right, uh, whoops, right,
0: right there. It's called The Real CDC. Let's go over to Judge Nally real quick. Judge Nally, save us. We got, we got corruption bleeding out of our ears right now in our government. What is the instrument that the people possess for peaceful restoration of our freedom and holding these evil bastards to account. Judge Nally, what do you think?
7: Before any citizen can reach up over the mantle and take a death grip on the Second Amendment, we must remember our grand juries. And the reason for that is because they have the authority to do two things we do not have a reasonable expectation of our government agencies doing. And that is a diligent inquiry. And more importantly, a true presentment. No matter the state or federal jurisdiction, all grand juries are judges of the law. That's not uh, given or acknowledged to any other government agency. They, not a judge or a prosecutor, determine their jurisdiction. Furthermore, in all jurisdictions, the question of willfulness and intent are always a question for a jury. No one, and this is important too, no one, whether in government or in private society, have any immunity from a grand jury inquisition. And most importantly, under our First Amendment, every citizen has a right, an absolute right, To stand before a grand jury as an informant, a sworn witness, or in the place of a government prosecutor.
0: Judge Nally, thank you for that so much, folks. If you're listening in, I hope you're getting the feel that there are some people who've been putting it together and that we have more options than most people out there believe. And we gotta come together right now and you gotta get in this fight. Let's go over to Brian O'Shea right now. Brian, we've you brought something to my attention while we were doing all this that it didn't seem to fit at first because the hard thing for a lot of people is the scope of this corruption the scope of this what's going on globally and how it's all connected and goes back to the UN and the World Health Organization and all these corrupt supposedly non-government Um, organizations that are acting like governments. There's another one that's on the build right now and been on the build in private for a while called One Health. What is One Health?
9: Oh, thank you. And thank you for having me on, Dr. Ely. One Health um, is the ideology uh, originally coined as One Medicine in the late 1800s by Rudolf Virchow, who is actually the guy who coined the word zoonosis and is the father of something called social medicine. And basically what that means is everything's connected and that even politics, according to Virchow, is uh, really just about health. Every every policy should be about health. Um, sounds great. Flash forward ahead. One Health in today's age, originally called One Medicine, is the belief and the public health ideology that all health should have equitable outcomes between humans, animals, and the environment because we are all interconnected. That sounds wonderful. If I get a tick bite, I'm going to go kill all the ticks. That's my idea of One Health. But uh, this extends beyond uh, just health and medicine. So currently, right now, there is a One Health uh, ideology and a framework that underlies something called, originally called the uh, WHO Pandemic Treaty. Okay. And what this means is that. Should this treaty go through, uh, it's scheduled to be uh, uh, open for dissent in May of 2024, and that may have changed. Um, that means every member of the WHO will be beholden to the WHO should the WHO determine that there is a pandemic emergency. Now, what does this mean? Well, what this means is once that happens, m- fueled by the One Health ideology that, you know, you're protecting food, animals, humans, everything like that, the WHO will be able to determine um, lockdowns, masking, forced inoculations in every single uh, WHO member country. Now, if you look at what One Health is, when you talk about health of humans, animals, and the planet, what you are talking about is everything. So you, a lot of you may have wondered, why are there so many veterinarians and so, so, so many zoonotic research people involved in uh, the pandemic? Well, that's because that's what's driving, in my opinion, the pandemic itself. When we look at Peter Dojic, CEO, uh the CEO of EcoHealth Alliance, he has been pushing for the spillover theory. Like this came from nature, it spilled over and uh, hasn't proven it yet, and rather than a lab leak for uh, for the COVID pandemic. Well, if you look at One Health, which is based on the fact that you have to prevent spillover, it's not crazy to think that perhaps the pandemic was needed to push One Health, whose entire basis is based on spillover. Now, really quickly, what is One Health? How does it affect you? The way it affects you is some of the solutions that are being proposed by this pandemic treaty um, and also by the One Health advocates. And by the way, they're in every country in this country. There's a CDC office for One Health. Uh, It's written into the omnibus bill in 2022 to create a new architecture for One Health, Um, the the, pandemic. The omnibus was that huge spending bill passed by the Biden administration in December of 2022. So what does this mean? What this means is that the public health community, for lack of a better term, on an international scale, will be poking around in the food supply, the water supply, um, this climate change, you name it. And they can determine, hey, you know what? This 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 car is affecting the health of this person over here and affecting the health of this animal. We have to ban cars. It gives unprecedented power to anyone who falls within the realm of the one health uh, community. Folks, think of it like this they would have the right to suspend the
0: constitution, our social contract that protects our, our liberties, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Because they decided to, and they decided to based upon data, data that they control and manipulate and lie to us about. And then we need to steal this much money from you. Ah, we don't even need to, you don't even have any money. You will eat the bugs and you will like it, right? That's how you create this. And it's all just words on a stupid piece of paper. And if we allow it to happen, Shame on us. That's what it comes down to. So, Bill, we're coming to a close here. I'm pissed now. I don't know about you all listening. If you haven't gotten a little fired up, if you haven't had a little bit of seed coming up in you, folks, it's time to get a little pissed off here and direct it appropriately. Brian, real quick before we go to Bill.
9: Yeah. And just to wrap that up, I do want to say at the core, of one health and the quadripartite that governs one health in this country includes NASA. Okay.
0: Oh, where, where we brought the Germans, right? Where we <laughs> brought down the Nazis everyone.
9: and put them
0: in. <laughs> Gee, well, is this, well, feel, this is feeling more and more like Nazi Germany to me globally. Every absolutely. single day, right? And, you
9: know, at, at the core of one health is surveillance, 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 spillover surveillance, uh, AMR surveillance. And so that is what something,
0: do, what do you think doing? those street lights are for? What do you think those new streetlights are for? Surveillance,
9: right? So that's that's it in a nutshell, Dr. Ely. And oh, I did want to say too, they are trying to normalize it through the colleges, the universities. And by the way, I want to wish you all a happy One Health Day, which is every year on November 3rd. What? Yes.
0: They even have their own day, right? International holiday. You can give away all of your freedoms and feel good about doing it. Because privacy is a thing of the past, right? Please. Bill, I'm pissed. I want to do something about it. What can I do?
3: You said they think they have the right to suspend the Constitution. So you come home, you're out for a bit. The three-year-old's coloring on the wall with permanent marker. There's a couple of 10-year-olds down in the basement putting off soft explosives. And the 16-year-old, that's supposed to be in charge, says, while you were gone, we went ahead and did a moratorium on spankings. How's that gonna sell with you? Because it's never gonna sell well with me. I'm still in charge. They're not suspending anything. Founding document says that uh, we are endowed by our creators with certain inalienable rights and that governments are instituted among men to secure these rights. Are you feeling like your rights are secured? Are you feeling like the governments? When every time somebody said they today, I substituted the word, the people I hired to be my public servants. Employees of mine are the they, they're fired. And so Tactical Civics has an action plan to enforce the constitution. All we need to do is enforce the highest law of the land. It's a four page document. You could read it in a few minutes. There are 17 specific things we asked the federal government to do. If they're not doing it, they're criminals. They need to be fired. If they're exceeding their authority, they're criminals. They need to be fired. The grand jury is all about how we go about it to ground level, enforcing, investigating and enforcing the highest law of the land. The question that you guys are appealing before the courts would not have arisen had the Constitution been followed and enforced. Where's the constitutional authority for the stuff they're doing? Where's the constitutional authority for the department of justice who told you to go pound sand? There isn't one.
0: Gentlemen, thank you so much. You know, I love you. And I have the utmost gratitude and respect for everything that you do on behalf of so many people. We're talking really billions of people around the world because we are the last line. And it is an honor to stand with each of you. It is a privilege to stand with each of you. And may God bless us all on our great fight forward to preserve freedom forever and freedom for all. Everybody listening in, it's time to get in the fight.